This episode of Overthinking Movies contains minor spoilers for Cocaine Bear and major spoilers for Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Also, content warning, both of these are very violent movies, and if you can't stomach intense descriptions of violence and gore, you might want to sit this one out, especially for the Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey part. Alright, let's get to it. Welcome back to Overthinking Movies. I'm your overthinking host, Brandon Hain. And for whatever reason, I mean, it's technically the Chinese Zodiac Year of the Rabbit, but February was the month of ursine destruction. It was movies, or particularly slasher films, I guess, about bears going crazy. We got two coming up here. We got Cocaine Bear and Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Uh, for the first time, we're doing something a little different for this episode. I have co-host Alex Ulacki with me that you might know for the many, many, many Godzilla episodes. However, this time around, I've told Alex to actually not watch either of these movies. I have seen both, and I'm just going to kind of describe the movies to Alex and whether or not I recommend them. And by proxy, that should give you, the listener, an idea of whether you should check out these movies or not. That's right. I guess we'll see. I'm just here to grin and bear it. Ah. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, that wasn't that bad. So, we're going to start off with Cocaine Bear. Now, for Cocaine Bear, I'm not going to go into any, like, major spoilers. I'm just going to basically describe kind of what the movie is. And then we'll get into Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And I will say Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey will have full spoilers Let's just say I don't necessarily care that much about spoiling that movie, and also because I just think it's a lot more interesting to talk a bit more about what goes on in that one. But first of all, Alex, we're going to talk about Cocaine Bear, which came out last Friday. Cocaine Bear is a comedy horror film based on a true story. There was a true story around this where essentially back in 1985, there were a bunch of drug smugglers basically flying shipments of cocaine over Kentucky, but they were uh, so stupid that they did not realize that the cocaine was actually weighing down their plane. Mm. So they dropped the cocaine out of the plane, but even though they dropped the cocaine out of the plane, the drug smugglers, I guess something happened with, with their plane or they weren't flying well, they did crash and die themselves. So... Then the cocaine was later found sometime later with a bear laying next to it, having eaten a good chunk of the cocaine, and of course it, it passed away. Oh. Now, of course, that's the full story of the real cocaine bear. Okay, that, movie. That, that was it? It just ate it and then it just passed away? Oh, yeah, it didn't hurt anybody. They just found it later oh, laying okay. near the cocaine. Oh, you see, because, yeah, I knew this was based off real events, so to say, because for whatever reason, they've really been plastering the advertisements for these bear movies everywhere, especially Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really bother looking up how much of it was based off true events, but I, I'm surprised to find it hasn't actually killed anybody. Oh, no, no, no. The, the Cocaine Bear, like, its stomach was packed full of cocaine, but apparently only, like, 0.1% actually entered its bloodstream. So it wasn't okay. even really all that high either. It just right. had a bunch of cocaine in its stomach, and it died, and then they stuffed it and, like, displayed it in, you know, Kentucky museums, and it was, like, moved around a few times, but, yeah, See, that's, that's it. it's conceivable, though, that, like, it could have actually gone crazy, though, because I know, I think fairly recently, that's at some point in our history of the world, I know that, I think in Italy or Sicily, somewhere over there in Europe, there were some wild hogs that got into the, uh, 
cocaine over there that the actual mafia was hiding in the woods for some reason. They actually did... I don't know if they, like, attacked anybody, but I know they were at least on some sort of a rampage via the forest. And just recently, Alex, there was a real news report story about a shark that got into some cocaine. Oh, boy, that is not what you want. (laughs) So in the lead-up to Cocaine Bear's release, that was, like, one of the main questions the media was questioning the director with. They were like, so is that the sequel, Cocaine Shark? And, I mean, that wasn't necessarily her plan, but she was, like, you know, jokingly like, yeah, I guess we'll... I guess maybe, I don't know. So the director of Cocaine Bear is Elizabeth Banks, who primarily at this point is known as an actress. Gosh, I mean, she's been active since, like, 1998. Mainly she's known nowadays for the Picture Perfect movies. She was in the Hunger Games films. Mm. Uh, Like, you and I would both know her, Alex, because she played Betty Brant in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. Oh, there you go. But she's been in many, many, many films over the years and won multiple awards for her acting. And she graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, the state that we live in. So, I mean, that's a nice fact, I guess. But this was her... I think this might have been her second directed film. She had previously directed one of the Pitch Perfect movies, which also did pretty well. So leading up to this, Cocaine Bear was an idea that was basically pitched by uh, Philip Lord and Christopher Miller, uh, the directors and writers of the Fantastic uh, Lego movie. And Philip Lord was, of course, the director of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. So when I heard that their involvement as producers of this movie was locked in, I was admittedly pretty interested to see how this was going to turn out because most people saw the name and they saw the trailers and they were like, okay, what is this? Is this just like some sort of dumb meme movie that just comes out to get people out of shock value? So I told Alex before recording that I needed to preface something before getting into the movie because my theater experience of this film was actually tainted pretty badly. I went to my local theater, which I was surprised was even playing this movie. <laughs> and when I got into the theater with uh, my other co-host, uh, Zach Yetter, and we sat down and we were trying to watch the film, we had an incredibly loud group of people behind us. And it wasn't just like two people that were talking. It was the entire row was filled out and all talking at the same exact time. Not even realizing the movie had started. They were just talking about their own things. And then the movie started and they began talking loudly about how they probably shouldn't be talking in a movie theater about talking. And then they started talking about that. And then they started (laughs) continuing to talk about other things. And people tried to make them be quiet and they just wouldn't stop. And so... For my first time ever watching a movie, Zach and I were like, okay, we're, we're just going to move up. So we moved up to near the front of the theater. And then behind us, we had a group of people talking about how the people in the back of the theater were talking. And then we had other people nearby them talking about how those people oh were talking gosh. and they needed to be quiet. And then there were people trying to shush the people in the back of the theater about keeping them from talking. But, it, but by shushing them, they just created further distraction because the people back in the theater were not going to stop talking. And Zach and I were just about to wow. stand up and scream and go crazy. Like, like we're on cocaine. It was... That is abs- it, terrible. It was by far, Alex, the worst experience I've had with an audience in a movie theater in my life. And it was punctuated. I know you tend to have problems out that way too. You've, you've mentioned it to me on several occasions, things like this have happening, but yeah, this certainly takes the cake is the worst. Yeah. And I, I don't know where these people came from, but not only were they insulting each other from across the theater and trying to make each other be quiet. They were like yelling, like homophobic slurs at each other and just really, really Uh. awful crap. And I was just like, what? What year are we in? Did these people, like, teleport from the 80s to watch this movie set in the 80s? 
<laughs> I was, uh, yeah, it was it was baffling and really, really awful. And this continued through half of the movie. And then finally, either the volume of the movie went up or these people started to quiet down because they were actually getting engaged. But they finally, things began to get quieter and Zach and I were actually able to, in, on some level, absorb the content in the thing we were paid money for. Right. I uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe people going in didn't think that anybody cared enough about this movie, actually, that anybody was going to be watching it. <laughs> I don't know, but um, when we were actually able to get in the, engaged in the film itself, Alex, I can say The Cocaine Bear is like a perfectly fine movie. It's not great. It's not something I'd ever watch again, but if the concept of crazy bear mm. high on cocaine in the woods attacking people sounds like a movie you might watch, I mean, it, it does it pretty well. I mean, it sounds one like I might watch, not necessarily one that I would, but I might. I wouldn't put it high on your list, but I, it's a perfectly well-made movie. The, the writing's pretty good. Uh, it's well-directed. There's good performances out of the whole cast. Like, So what is Cocaine Bear? Basically, Cocaine Bear, it takes itself seriously, though, in sort of a tongue-in-cheek way. The movie opens with, like, quotes about bear attacks, but then at the bottom it says, Source Wikipedia. <laughs> and... Then it gets into the movie itself, and basically the film, like the real story I talked about, is set in 1985, and it has the same story about the drug smugglers that dropped off the shipment, and then they die because of not being able to fly their plane correctly, and then the bear eats the cocaine. But the movie itself is essentially about uh, just an ensemble of different groups of people that all come into the woods for different reasons. Hmm. Some of them are basically kind of like different tropes of different types of 80s characters. Okay. There's like a group of kids that come into the woods to skip school. There's uh, one of the kids' moms, who's a nurse, is coming to look for them. You have this really incompetent uh, park ranger and this hippie guy she uh, has a crush on. Uh, there's a gang of boys w armed with knives that are jumping people at the park. You got the drug dealer's henchmen who have come into the woods to pick up the rest of the cocaine. Uh, you've got a, a sheriff who comes into town because they've been tracking the guy that runs the drug smuggling ring for a while. So he's trying to figure out if they're going to show up near where the cocaine is. And then of course you got the bear itself. And so the movie ends up being a lot more about the people than it is about the bear. Though of course the bear is in it and the bear definitely kills a lot of people. Like if you don't have a stomach for gore, you're not really probably going to be able to fully enjoy this movie because the bear inviscerates these people. All right, so I'm envisioning that the, the gore levels are, like, up to that of, like, a lot of the 80s films coming out around that time, like some, like, Friday the 13th type stuff or something here we're talking about, right? Yes, there's definitely some crazy gore in the movie on levels that you would kind of expect out of somebody like Tom Savini, though I would not say the, the practicals or the CG in the film is up to the level I'd expect out of, like, a Tom Savini effect. Oh, I'm sure. But it's not bad. So is it like very overblown or is there, because I know that it, we're talking about a crazy bear going after people. Is the violence realistic to what you might expect out of that or is it just out of proportion? I would say it's, it's slightly over the top. Okay. But, you know, it's not like gallons of blood pouring out of people or whatever. It's, when it attacks people, it's it's shocking <laughs> because of the level of detail they show in the gore. Yeah. Um, which um, was, was a little off-putting. Like, I can see why some critics would say it feels totally inconsistent with sort of the, the comedic tone of the scenes with some of the human characters. 
but I found it engaging because the movie does a very good job not fully letting on who is going to die next or who is going to survive this movie. And many times it did uh, subvert my expectations as to who was going to live. And I, I enjoyed following that stuff. It's just one of those things, like I said, where I don't think I'd watch this movie again. I think now that the surprise is worn off, I don't think there's a lot left for it to offer me. I feel like if I was showing it to somebody else, maybe that would be fine. Um, like, because I said, like the characters are fun and how it eventually ends up, I found to be a pretty decently satisfying ending. Let's just say that it does not follow the true story that it is based on. It goes down a different direction to be a movie. <laughs> this movie is not made to be intentionally bad or made simply as a joke. It is made to be a simple, fun comedy horror film about a crazy bear that goes high on cocaine. <laughs> Quite clearly. More like, more than based off true events, more like this thing happened. So our movie is what if. Right. Because many people thought that this movie would be like a Sharknado. It would be like an asylum movie intentionally made to be awful to pull in an audience based on the concept and shock value. But no, it, it is a, it is a for the most part, a pretty well-made movie with good action sequences and fun characters. And it, it is worth seeing. It just, it, I wouldn't put it high on my list. Like this isn't like one of the best films I've seen this year, which, you know, isn't saying much since the year just started. But I would say that if the trailer and the title and the concept interested you, yeah, probably go see it if you're interested and definitely bring some friends with you and you'll probably have a pretty good time with it. Okay, yeah. Based on what you've told me, I'm not really planning to go seek it out at any point, but if it should happen to be put in front of me, I would very eagerly enjoy the film. So then we've got the other film on my list here. Of, of a, let's say, a pretty different quality level, um, which is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, which is a the directorial debut. Uh, it is directed and written by uh, Reese Frake Waterfield, who kind of came out of nowhere. He's directed, like, some smaller short film horror stuff before this. But this is his first major production. What basically happened was is that, as you might imagine, the copyrights for the original Winnie the Pooh book went uh, into public domain. Yeah, the moment they did those vultures sure grabbed onto it, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is, this is essentially what it is. And then he was pitching the movie, and basically one group or studio, I forget who the producers were, but essentially they heard the concept that he was going for, and they actually gave him a $100,000 budget, which was way more than he was planning to work with to make it, which was already pretty low budget for a typical theater release film. So what is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey? I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a movie about Winnie the Pooh as a crazy uh, slasher movie villain going around killing girls in bikinis. Okay, so this is actually Winnie the Pooh killing people. Because uh, from the little bit I saw in the trailers, I kind of got the impression it was somebody in like a Winnie the Pooh costume in the context of the story. But this is Winnie the Pooh we're talking about. Oh, no, it is Winnie the Pooh. The movie is actually more accurate to the lore of the original books than I expected it to be. Oh. Down to the point that this movie was filmed in Ashdown Forest, which is actually the forest that the Winnie the Pooh books set the Hundred Acre Wood in. Okay, nice detail, I guess. Which you would think that touch of authenticity would lead to a movie that is made with some level of care. Well, no, the movie's pretty bad. 
going into this, Brandon, do you have any nostalgia for Winnie the Pooh? Was that something you watched or read as a child much? Uh, I never read the original novels, but of course I watched the Disney film adaptations when I was a kid. Okay. And I, yeah, I have nostalgia for the old Winnie the Pooh cartoons. I did enjoy them quite a bit. I liked its characters and I like its, its simple, wholesome charm. Um... But the movie, of course, the whole point of it, because literally there's an Instagram post where someone said, you're ruining our childhoods. And the director of the movie went, well, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. So what is Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey about? Because as Alex sort of implied there, it actually is a little more accurate to the books than we uh, first expected it to be. So the movie begins with an animated sequence trying to capture some of the style of the original illustrations from the book. Because, of course, this has to sort of copy the aesthetic of the original book. It can't have Winnie the Pooh, like, wear a red shirt and have the extra characters that are featured in the Disney movies because their copyright is still not out yet, and that would get you into trouble. So the movie begins with an animated sequence involving Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh and the gang living in the Hundred Acre Wood, as you might expect. But Christopher Robin is growing older like he's he's aging while the characters in the hundred acre wood are sort of staying their usual age as being you know living uh, stuffed animals christopher robin decides that he is going to leave the hundred acre wood and go to college to study to be a doctor and winnie the pooh and the gang are kind of distraught about this at first because chris robin's their friend and okay so here's the twist alex i actually was misleading you winnie the pooh and the gang are not stuffed animals in this version. They are animal-human hybrids. Oh, just just entities that exist? Well, I, I don't know if there's some sort of horrifying uh, interspecies breeding going Ugh. on or what their origins are. They don't really go into that. But yes, Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and everybody are just like animals-human hybrids of some sort. Okay. So because of this, they actually do need to eat food. Pooh doesn't just eat honey because he likes it. He eats honey because he needs to survive. And Christopher Robin was the one who would many times bring them food in the Hundred Acre Wood to eat. He was the one to sort of scout for their food. So him leaving means that they kind of have to fend for themselves. So with Christopher Robin gone, the gang soon realizes that they simply are not very good at taking care of themselves. They begin to starve. And in a moment of desperation, Alex, they eat Eeyore. <laughs> Not Eeyore. Because they had no food. That, 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 Alex, that is exactly what my audience reacted with. <laughs> the audience in my theater were like, Not Eeyore, no! And here's the thing. While the audience in Cocaine Bear was the worst audience I've ever experienced in the movie, the audience in Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey were exactly the audience you could have wanted. They were there for pretty much the same reason you were. They saw this stupid Winnie the Pooh horror movie and they went, okay, let's go have some fun. <laughs> okay. They were, all, they were all there to have fun and, and laugh and sort of joke along with it. So yes, when they, when they were about to eat Eeyore, the audience was like, no! <laughs> so they ate Eeyore and through the process of both tasting blood for the first time and also eating their friend, it traumatized uh, the, the characters of the Hundred Acre Wood and they became mad and feral and they developed a hatred for humans and especially Christopher Robin for abandoning them. Yeah. So the movie then goes to many years later. Christopher Robin has graduated uh, college. He's officially a doctor now and he now has a fiance and he comes back to the Hundred Acre Wood to basically show his wife to his old friends. And of course, his wife is a little... She thinks he's introducing her to, like, his imaginary friends. Ah. Uh. Yeah, she thinks he's being kind of weird about this. She's just like, I don't I don't know, Chris. This is... 
I mean, I, I think it's cute that you want to do this with me, but are, are you taking me into the woods for, like, other reasons? And Christopher Robin's like, no, no, I, I genuinely, these people are my friends, and I want to show them to you. So they go into the woods, and they find the 100-acre wood strangely, like, abandoned and kind of messed up, and there's, like, a, right. there's like a grave to Eeyore in the background. <laughs> and so they're not really sure what's going on, but they can tell definitely something is wrong. They go into a building nearby, which was originally Pooh's house, to try to figure out where Pooh is, and then they hear some sort of sound, and they hide, and Pooh comes walking in, but something seems very off about him. His eyes have this sort of black soullessness to them, and they seem to notice some, like, blood nearby. But Pooh does, of course, eventually find them, and he begins chasing after them. Because, as it turns out, Winnie the Pooh no longer speaks. Uh, he, he decided, since he's going to adopt and, and lean into his more feral animal side, he's no longer going to talk anymore. Christopher Robin is unsettled and tries to talk down Pooh, but Pooh attacks... And not only Pooh, but Piglet is in this movie, too. Mm -hmm. Piglet shows up, who basically just looks like a guy in a wild boar mask, and grabs hold of Christopher Robin's uh, girlfriend, and they uh, snap her neck and kill her. <laughs> and Christopher Robin, they then chase through the woods. And eventually, they chase him into, I think, either Piglet or Winnie the Pooh's house. And you get this truly horrible scene of uh, Winnie the Pooh and Piglet approaching Christopher Robin from both sides. As the lighting in the, in the scene fades to dark, to light, to dark, to light, I guess to be more ominous as they get closer and closer to him, but there's no real explanation as to why it's doing that. And the whole time, Christopher Robin is just going, Pooh, no! Pooh, you're better than this! Remember me as your friend! And the problem is, is that this would be fine if he just said these lines once and then the scene ended. Instead, he repeats these lines like five or six times as the scene is drug out like this movie is trying to get to a 90-minute running time. No. Yep, and eventually they finally get close to him and it cuts to black and then it shows the title <laughs> card and then you get like opening credits over scenes of newspapers reporting mysterious deaths in the woods and sightings of Bigfoot-like creatures. Wow, we covered a lot of material before we got to the opening credits, holy moly. I know. Then the movie actually begins, and it focuses on a completely new set of characters. A, uh, a girl who has some previous trauma from being stalked and uh, molested by a man that uh, broke into her house some years back. And she's still dealing with the trauma of this, so her and her friends decide to go on a trip to a log cabin in the woods and sort of put away their phones, so that way they can support their friend and have a bit of therapy together. And while this does sound like an okay setup, the acting is so bad that it's hard to really care about any of them. Gotcha. And the writing is not very good either. A lot of it, the movie just feels very stilted. Really? Yeah. Oh, I know, I know. I, I mean, I, I don't want to shock you, Alex, but... I am shocked, Brandon. So the rest of the movie is kind of what you would expect after that. And it's just Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. For some reason, uh, Rabbit and Owl are just, like, not in the movie. I mean, they don't imply that they died at all. Maybe, maybe Reese Freak uh, Waterfield is saving them for the sequel because I'm unfortunate to report, Alex, that Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey 2 is already in development. He's currently writing the script. Okay. And he plans to make it a five times as crazy. Wow. More than three times as crazy. So the girls start getting picked off one by one as... 
Pooh and Piglet are angry that people would invade their woods and they hate people. And I'm sorry, but like something that I have to put out there is that they pull the whole, oh, Pooh and Piglet are super feral now and they're crazy and they, they, they went full into their animal sides. They still wear clothes and they live in houses. If they wanted to push this concept the full way, they should have just been living out in the woods. And in fact, that might have been easier on your budget by not having shots around these houses they built for them the whole time. Right. Huh. Yeah. So you get, of course, multiple scenes of the different kills. And look, I can give the movie this. I think the kills, while stupid, are pretty entertaining. And they do have a variety of different types of kills with decent practical gore effects. Okay. Now... At times, unfortunately, they lean back on CG for some of it, and the CG is unbearably bad. <laughs> for example, one scene has Winnie the Pooh lowering a woman into a wood chipper. Oh, boy. And they actually show her face getting chopped up in the wood chipper, but they do it with CG, and instead of, like, animating it in some way, it's more like they stretched her face out like it's, like, in Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, there's a lot of scenes kind of like that. But I remember the audience and myself, of course, kind of chuckling at what, seeing Winnie the Pooh put somebody in a wood chipper. Right. Piglet is like in the background on one of those, what do you call it? There's one of those stationary bikes you would use to like power like a generator. So presumably he's using that to power the wood chipper. I don't know. Some of this is a little blank for me because as it, as it turns out, this movie wasn't super memorable. We also do get scenes focusing on Winnie the Pooh and Piglet as well on their own at their house. Uh, because, as it turns out, Winnie the Pooh did track down Christopher Robin, and he now has Christopher Robin chained up in his house, because he wants to torture Christopher Robin for leaving them. So Christopher Robin is begging Pooh not to keep doing this. And here's the thing, I think this movie had moments where I could sort of see where you could take this concept, because there are scenes where Pooh is having hesitance at the idea of attacking Christopher Robin because mm -hmm. it's his friend. And it gets to a point where Pooh actually walks over to, like, the mirror in his house and looks in the mirror, and you get little flashbacks of, like, POV from Pooh's perspective of Christopher Robin as a child saying, oh, silly old bear, and them playing together out in the woods and having fun. Right. And, and then it cuts back to Pooh present time, and he's, of course, just angry. All this remembering and trying to be nice to Christopher Robin only just further instilled just how angry he is about Christopher Robin leaving. So he goes on a rampage and starts destroying stuff around his cabin. Then he picks up a whip and starts whipping Christopher Robin's back oh boy i did it uh, yeah wow. and they do special detail to the marks in christopher robin's back which once again the gore doesn't look bad but it's also just like oh boy so yeah then the rest of the movie is Pooh and piglet showing up to take down these girls right. one by one who dared to stay in a cabin in their woods at one point there's like a girl in like a hot tub that's trying to get away from the rest of her friends because, of course, you know, she's a lady in a hot tub so they can have that nice, sleazy sex appeal in this that movie. Yeah. And you get this beautiful moment because she, she hears uh, sounds out in the woods and she sees somebody nearby. And she does the whole horror movie thing where she's like, is somebody there? And then she turns on the light in the backyard because I don't know why she didn't have the light on already. <sighs> and she then gets back in the pole. But, of course, the electricity is faulty, so the light keeps going on and off. So they do that thing again where the light keeps going on and off, and Winnie the Pooh and Piglet get closer and closer. Until they then get her, and yeah. Uh, and I forget how the rest of it goes. I know that, like, they run one girl over with a car, and for the special effects of that, they once again 
show the girl's head getting crushed by the car, which they shouldn't have, because their best efforts for a special effect are to once again stretch her face in like a Photoshop program to make it look like her face is getting flattened. And it's, why would you do that? When you have good practical effects in this movie. I, I don't, I mean, unless they wanted it to look like a cartoon when you get flattened based on Pooh's cartoon traditional heritage, I, I, I can't tell you, Brandon. I don't know, Alex. I can say at least that Winnie the Pooh's mask actually does look pretty good. It looks like Winnie the Pooh and it actually articulates quite a bit. Like it can move its ears and its mouth and its eyes. Oh yeah, that's neat. It's not bad. It honestly, like the whole costume, I don't really have much of a problem with. I think Piglet's is a little lazy that it's just like a uh, warthog, <laughs> essentially. But, you know, whatever. I mean, Piglet's not really the focus here. It's Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, after all. So, Pooh begins knocking off all of the girls one by one until there's only a few left. At one point, uh, Piglet goes into an indoor pool that's inside of their cabin. And these two girls who are earlier on build up to be an item together, uh, they're getting ready to get in the pool. And the one girl doesn't want to get in the pool, but the other girl does. But then Piglet shows up. He attacks her friend who's outside the pole first with a sledgehammer, then comes after her in the pole and kills her. I mean, I guess it's sort of some creative camera work where they film the sequence almost entirely underwater. Hmm. So you get like shots of her legs running away and then you get shots of Piglet's legs as they come after her, um, which doesn't look that bad. And then uh, the friend that he attacked with the sledgehammer, he realizes is still alive. So he drags off her body back to the hundred acre wood. So the rest of the plot becomes about the rest of the characters who are left, which I think are like three people running off into the woods to the hundred acre wood to go save their friend that's been kidnapped. So they get there and they save their friend. And they also come across this woman who is also chained up and her face is just like a bloody pulpy mess. And it feels almost like, we're supposed to know who she is and she has some sort of reverence, but I have no idea who she is. And it almost feels like something in the script that was cut out because she's just there and they do save her and you think they're all going to run away, but instead, no, they stick around. They find some guns in the area and this lady, because she was tortured, decides that she's going to get revenge. So you get this epic scene where it's her with a shotgun dancing around this campfire with Piglet on the other side, her saying incredible dialogue, like, I'll get you for this Piglet. <laughs> and this this definitely couldn't have been uh, Christopher Robin's girlfriend from the beginning, right? You said she was definitively killed off? Yes. Uh, she had, like, her neck snapped. Hmm. So I don't think this would have been her. Though, to be fair, there was so much makeup on this person's face, it was kind of hard to tell who they were. Right. So she ends up chaining up Piglet, and then she, like, picks up a shovel and bashes him over the head until he dies. So Piglet is dead. Or, you know, maybe they might bring him back. Who knows? So the rest of the friends break into the 100 Acre Wood house because they hear somebody else calling. They save Christopher Robin, who's chained up, and Christopher Robin runs away. And they run away their own direction. And constantly in the theater, of course, people with me were just like, just just run away. Stop stop lingering around this area. But of course they have to so that things can happen. <laughs> so eventually they run away. They get into a car and try to drive off. But Winnie the Pooh keeps getting in their way. At one point, 
a group of men from the woods. Like earlier on in the movie, mm-hmm. they encounter like this abandoned gas station that this guy's running, and you know it's the classic scene where he's he's warning them about the woods and all that kind of stuff. That guy comes back along with a group of other guys, and when they see that Winnie the Pooh is attacking this girl, they decide that they're gonna take on Pooh themselves. And Winnie the Pooh. And honestly, Alex, it feels very much like the the final scene of Halloween Kills. Oh they, yeah, I remember they, that. I loved that. I was so. Oh yeah, I, I know you love you. Uh, you adored that oh, scene. So, oh my goodness, I was so engaged. Yes. So these guys with weapons attack Winnie the Pooh and smack him around with their shovels. But Winnie the Pooh, with with supernatural abilities, immediately recovers and with almost superhero speeds, uh, <laughs> runs at them and starts attacking them because Pooh cannot be hurt. And he basically has like super strength. I don't remember that being a, a function of his character in the book, but maybe that's just uh, his ability as an animal human hybrid. Yeah. He takes out all these guys and kills each of them while the girl just like sits in the car, not doing anything. Like, yes, it was technically somebody else's car, but these people are dead. You should probably just go. So she decides to drive off. But of course, she can't just drive off, Alex. She has to run over Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) Naturally. And when she goes to run over Winnie the Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, of course, then grabs onto the car and climbs around on it. As one often does, yes. So she tries to drive away, and I think one other friend is with her at this point. And Pooh, of course, is attacking the car and stabbing into it and trying to keep them from getting away. At some point around this time, uh, they crash their car, I think, into a tree or or something. Or, or It's just like out in the middle of the woods. And... Pooh breaks into the car and grabs her friend and rips her friend out of it. And you get this beautiful scene of Winnie the Pooh holding up her friend and her being like, no, don't hurt my friend. Then it cuts again. And Winnie the Pooh is now just holding the head of her friend. And you're like, no. And then he throws her friend's head at the car. (laughs) Oh, man. Obviously, as you might see here, I'm remembering this in sort of spurts. But... I do remember the climax. So she gets out of the car and tries to get away. And she's pretty messed up now from all of the car wrecks and all of the driving she's had to do. And also all the ways she's been attacked throughout the movie. So she's like limping and she has no chance of getting away from Winnie the Pooh. But Christopher Robin shows up to try to save her and tries to get in the way of Pooh to try to say, no, Pooh, don't do this. There's still good in you, Pooh. We can still recover you from this. Like, it's almost kind of like a... It almost feels a bit like they're trying to do like Michael Myers here thing here with like Dr. Loomis. But of course, Winnie the Pooh grabs the girl and Winnie the Pooh talks. After all of his time deciding that he will never talk again, he finally spits out his only words in the movie. And Pooh simply says, you left. And he slits the main character girl's throat and Christopher Robin absolutely just on the brink of hysteria takes off into the woods now knowing that his friend is truly and forever gone as Winnie the Pooh gets down on his knees to finish killing and then of course eating his uh, final kill and then the movie ends there. And then the credits say, Pooh will return. Oh, man. So that is the riveting story of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. And now also, Alex, I should say there is, uh, the, the title is not inaccurate. There is a scene in the movie where Winnie the Pooh uses the remains of the girl he chopped up in the wood chipper to sprinkle into his honey so that way he can eat some blood and honey. Well, perfect. I mean, that's the title, so, yeah. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's a great movie. I mean, they at least, there's so many movies where they have titles that don't live up to your expectations, but Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey absolutely nailed it. <laughs> so obviously it's a bad movie and nobody going into that movie was going into it because they were like, oh, you know, there might be something here. <laughs> so when I'm seeing all these critic reviews that are just like, this is a terrible movie. The, there's no humor. There's, the acting is poor. The screenplay is incoherent. I don't know. I wasn't walking into this because I was expecting to see something that would truly stir my imagination. <laughs> I was going into this because I expected to sit with a crowd of people that were there for the same reason I was to watch a dumb, bad horror movie about Winnie the Pooh killing people with a knife. And you know what? I did get that. I just, I don't know. It, it, since he tried so hard to sort of be accurate to the books on some level, I kind of wish he went all the way instead of doing like this halfway thing where it's kind of yeah, all the way. Yes. All the way, all the way with this amazing concept that totally should have been made. But uh, yeah, Alex, obviously I wouldn't recommend watching this movie. And that's partially why I went through the whole plot because I was just like, yeah, whatever. Here's what the movie was. Here's what I sat through. But the audience and I had a pretty good time laughing at the stupidity of a lot of the choices made in it. Like, the movie itself didn't necessarily even feel like it was trying to be terrible. It just, you know, was. It was this director's first time working on a tiny budget, and he was kind of incompetent. Right. So do you feel that... Since there is a second in development, it will also be this kind of a movie? Or do you think with the added budget and knowing that there's enough interest in this that it might be a better film, that they could make it into a better film? I mean, it's always possible a director can improve. This is his debut, after all, and not all directors' debuts are necessarily winners. So, I mean, this is a pretty bad one. But, you know, <laughs> there's a possibility that there could be something gotten out of this. And in fact, Alex, he's actually begun work on his next movie as of the end of January. Okay. He is currently at work on Bambi the Reckoning. Uh... Which is not directed by him. It's directed by somebody else. Reese is the executive producer. And that will be a movie about Bambi getting revenge on the hunters that killed his mom. Will it just be a guy in a deer suit or will it be CG? I don't know what they plan to do for that. Ugh, man. I'm also happy to report, Alex, that he is also currently working on the script for Peter Pan's Neverland Nightmare. Whatever that's going to be about. <laughs> I mean, I guess that could be about a lot of things. The Bambi thing, though, I mean, I've just... I've seen that done and parodied before several times already, and it's just never been something that seems to be at all enjoyable to behold, in my opinion. Yes, uh, many of you listening are probably, I would imagine, either disgusted <laughs> listening that this movie was even made, or... You're more just like, eh, maybe this would be something dumb that I would throw on if I'm bored one day. But I'd say, eh, there's better options out there for dumb, bad horror movies. But if your curiosity is just overwhelming to see this, I mean, I can say that the audience I was with, I actually talked to a few of them just to gauge their impressions. And in terms of a stupid horror movie to laugh at, they thought it was okay on that front. Not one of the best, right. but they didn't necessarily, they didn't, they didn't regret their ticket purchase, <laughs> but they were just like, Eh, yeah, I got what I, I guess I wanted out of it, but I wish it could have been a little sillier. Right. So even on that front, it's not anything you should be going out to a theater for, because this was actually a limited screening, Alex. It was playing for, like, maybe a few days at the theater I was going to in State College, and then they were throwing it out. So. Although it doesn't, doesn't seem like it would hold up to be nearly as good as an experience as it was for you there without the 
the ambience of people going, not Eeyore, and all that. Because, I mean, it sounds like that certainly added to your experience seeing it in a group. Oh, no, there was definitely a lot of fun moments of people just being like, oh, no, or when the really gory kills happen, they're just like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) That stuff did enhance the experience. Right. And then when people saw Pooh will return on the credits, they all just laughed. And one guy next to me just said, Marvel has ruined movies. <laughs> Which I don't necessarily disagree with them in terms of every movie now feeling like it has to have some sort of tease during the credits. Yeah, right. I mean, on some level, I get that because it makes people want to actually read the credits or stay through the credits on some level as you made the movie, which I'm sure a lot of filmmakers kind of appreciate. But uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey doing it? Because here's the thing, Alex. There were kids next to me that were like, I don't know, like eight that were in that theater watching it with me. Uh, Did they enjoy it? I guess... Because when we got to the credits, the one little sister was about to leave and her big brother was like, no, wait, we got to see if there's a scene after the credits. (laughs) (sighs) For a movie that, I don't know, this is like one of the worst things I've seen inside of a theater in a long time. But, you know, like this was a no budget movie in terms of Hollywood standards. So, but I don't know. You could have done so much more with this concept because, uh, yes, this movie was a stupid idea just from what it was planning to be in and of itself. Could you have made, like, a short film depicting Winnie the Pooh and the gang as horror movie characters that probably could have been better than this? Well, yeah. There were better ways to execute this idea than just making it a lazy slasher movie that just happens to use the framework of a classic children's novel. It was just, like, what you would expect, but also not as fun as you might want this kind of movie to be. So, if you're interested in seeing an Ursign murder movie this February or... March, depending on when you're listening to this episode, I would, I mean, go see Cocaine Bear. I mean, Cocaine Bear is not great, but it's certainly a better movie that was made with a lot more experience and quality control than Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. So thank you, Alex, for joining me. I, I, I enjoyed this as a format because I felt like you gave good insight as to somebody who was talking about more like what you thought these were like from the outside in terms of what they actually were. And I think that helped contribute a lot to forming an image of the overall pictures. So I appreciate you joining me for two very, very <laughs> gimmicky movies. Yes, uh, and I, I was glad to be here looking in from the outside only wishing I could have been inside, inside of these bear movies. No, you should have been inside on your couch watching something else. <laughs> Thank you all for listening, and I apologize for the damage I've done to your childhoods. If you'd like to yell at me for it, provide other feedback, or suggest a movie or a topic for another episode, you can send those to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And for more episodes of Overthinking Movies, you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. You can also find us on goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, and wchx 1055.com. We're encroaching on episode 50. I honestly can't believe it. And I'm not even really sure yet what I want to do for it. Obviously, we've got more Godzilla coming up, including Destroy All Monsters, which might fit the bill. But I guess we'll just have to see what I can decide upon once I come to it. Otherwise, stay tuned for Son of Godzilla and for the coming episodes of new and old releases. That's a wrap.